0: Welcome to The Baptist Pulpit. This podcast is designed to introduce to the audience Baptist preachers both living currently in America or across the world, and also to introduce classic speakers, men of the past that were Baptist preachers that have inspired men like myself for years to preach the word of God. And they also, through their preaching, highlight Baptistic principles. Welcome, and thank you for listening to Baptist Pulpit. Our classic speaker of the past is Dr. Phil Shuler. And that's a name that, for the last 70 or 80 years, has been a most honored and respected name in the circles of fundamentalism. Dr. Phil Shuler was born in 1924. His dad was Robert Schuler, known as Fighting Bob Shuler. He was an old-time Methodist who dared to stand for the truth when most other Bible believers in this denomination were hiding. Fighting Bob Shuler built Trinity Methodist Church. It was the largest Methodist Church in the country. It was in Los Angeles in the roaring 20s and 30s. And he led a fight against corruption in high office. Bob Shuler had three boys. His oldest was Bob Jr. And he entered the liberal Methodist denomination as a pastor, Jack Shuler. Would initially be his most well-known son. He entered a citywide, or he entered citywide evangelism in the 30s and 40s, and then there was Phil Schuler. Phil Schuler uh, went to. He grew up, and upon returning from war, he entered Bob Jones College in Cleveland, Tennessee while there he rekindled a romance with his childhood sweetheart marie lemon in 1948 they were married they had two daughters and phil began preaching uh, shortly after that in 1948 with his school buddy glenn chunk in order to make ends meet the two of them sold watkins products there in the 1940s in south carolina Atlanta. they went door to door selling that. well upon graduation in 1950 he entered evangelism joined his brother's evangelistic team. He was his advanced man. They stayed, uh, he and his wife stayed with Jack Schuler for a couple of years. Then he began his own citywide meetings in 1952. Uh, he came and preached all over America. But then he was a Methodist. He began his ministry as a Methodist in the 50s. But modernism was so rampant that he became an independent Baptist in 1957, Doctor Schuler served God for more than 60 years. He saw hundreds and hundreds of people saved, and uh, hundreds of young people called to full-time service, and countless Christians strengthened and rededicated for service. An amazing ministry. He also was a songwriter. He wrote 450 gospel songs. Doctor Schuler went home to be with the Lord on June 19th, 2009. Pray that you enjoy the message today from Dr. Phil Schuler.
1: Someone asked me years ago what the most difficult thing was about evangelism. And I got to thinking of going back when my children were very small, it was very difficult to leave them, go out into the field. And I got to thinking of the times when many times Marie could not be with me And I got to thinking, no, the the worst part to evangelism is leaving friends. You come in, most churches, for the first time you come into strangers, and you leave friends. It's very difficult. I remember when I was in the Navy, and uh, I was very much a homebody then. I wanted to be with my, my brothers and sisters, my mom and dad. And Mother never did ask me when I was going to leave when I was going back aboard ship, when I was going back into the South Pacific. She never asked me that. She just knew that when she walked into my room in the morning and my bed was unmade, I was gone. It was just so hard to say goodbye to Mother. Hard to say goodbye to you people. You've been not only wonderful in attending, but you've been wonderful in praying for us. And God has seen us over the land and over the seas, through our years, and has never failed us. And we want to thank you people for your part in it. Marie uh, said to be sure and thank you for the sale of, of the uh, the CDs. You did excellently. You really did. You did a, a good job on it. Uh, no, they're not any good for ski shooting, for those of you who ask me. They, they, they don't work very well, but they do work to now and then remember us in prayer. You'll just play those and Remember us in prayer as we're out on the field. I want to thank the pastor for inviting us back. This has been a real thrill. Now I want to tell you something, you're not gonna believe this, but it's true and Marie will verify it. I can count on the digits of these two hands, real friends I have. And I'm fortunate most people are about here. Real friends. I mean, people that just don't say, I'm praying for you, and hey, it's good to see you. How are you doing in your meetings? Not that. But people that really back you in prayer and ask God to bless your health and ask God to keep you going. And I am rich in those here. And so we just thank you for it, and we want you to know that we appreciate it with all of our hearts. I want to thank also the choir and the band. They were faithful. Boy, were they faithful. And they were loud. And I loved it. It just sounded so good. And the ushers that are here, they're just silent, faithful people who are there in their place doing their job. And then last but not least, those who are on the instruments here, the piano, and the one up there that keeps me going, the sound man. Boy, he could cut me off, and that without remedy, I mean it. I... Thank the Lord for him. God bless you. You're part of the ministry. In your Bibles, if you will, please, Luke, the ninth chapter, 57th verse, Luke nine fifty seven. Marie and I want to thank you for the offering. We don't know what it is. We never do. We do not discuss it with the pastor. You say, don't you tell him your needs? No, God, I tell God my, my needs. God knows my needs. He's taking care of me. I have, in my ministry, been offered some funds to continue in small church work. I accept funds for small church work. I do not accept funds for my private self. And it comes through the love offering. And now, here I am, uh, well into my 60 years, and I've yet to pay a bill late. And folks, we've been in small churches. We've been in churches that... Uh, The smallest offering I ever received was in Ventura, California, and that was $28.22. And let me tell you something, it paid the bills that month. God has always taken care of me. So you pray for us as we go. We're going from here to Warren, Michigan. We're going to preach for a friend of ours who is having a terrible time with this church financially. He's uh, one of the best Soul winners I've met in my lifetime. And uh, I just told him I'd come give him a boost. And so we're going to be with him Sunday morning and Sunday night. And then we're going up into uh, what? where my Model A is. Decatur, Illinois. I have a Model A that a guy has put back together again. You ought to see it. has a rumble seat. Really a nice car. Got to go up there with him. He's had some problems with... Uh, his back in surgery. Came through real well. I just want to go by and check him out. He's a good friend of mine. Then we're going to head for home. And then we're going to go to California, so pray for us. We're going to go to California for a Schuler get together. About fifty-five of us in the Schuler family, the kids, the grandkids, the great grandkids, and what have you, and those they married into and so forth and so on. Gonna to get together in Bakersfield, California, where my brother Ed lives. And so we're going to visit some people in California for a couple of weeks that we haven't seen since we moved out of there years ago. So you, you pray for us if you would. We'd appreciate it very much. In your Bibles now, Luke 9, 57. And it came to pass that as they went in the way, certain man said unto him, Lord, I will follow thee whithersoever thou goest. And Jesus said unto him, Foxes have holes, and the birds of the air have nests. But the Son of Man hath not where to lay his hand. Holy God and Heavenly Father, we ask thy abundant blessing upon the teaching of thy word. We ask, Lord, that you would touch the hearts of each one that is in the building. Put our minds upon the message. And may we never, ever get to the place in our lives where we say Jesus is mundane, he's not interesting, You're our all in all, Christ. And may we walk out of here all claiming that. We pray in Jesus' holy and precious name. Amen. I don't believe there's a name that has been mentioned on the lips of mankind more than the name Jesus Christ. I agree with you that usually it's a blasphemy. It's an oath. But he's mentioned. Readers digest over and over again. Every year comes out with the fact that the most quoted name in their periodical is Jesus Christ. I say, we know of the name of Christ. We hear people using it, sometimes in blasphemy, but they're using it. But the person of Jesus Christ was the most lonely that I have ever met in history. No one was more lonely than Christ. Hey, listen, we'll go to, to a revival like this some of you people, if I were to ask you how many of you have not missed a night, you'd put your hand up. We'll go to revivals like this. We'll pack out buildings. We'll have great television audiences over the country of people singing together and, and, and listening together. But when it comes to our personal deportment, day by day, it's not usually with Jesus. It's somewhere else. Now this scene in our text is no different in the life of Christ than in the other day. Here, he had fed the 5,000. He and his group was going back. Out of the crowd that was fed, one came to follow him. That's a pretty good average for Jesus. And as he comes, he says, Jesus, and Christ turns and looks at him. Yes. He says, I don't know about those disciples. I can't vouch for them. But I'll follow thee whithersoever thou goest. Now, what motivated that? They had a full belly. Jesus provided But Christ looked into his heart and saw what motivated him and he tested him. He always did. He says, look yonder. See that bird flitting to its nest? Birds of the air have nests. Watch the fox as it slinks back to its lair. Foxes have holes, but the Son of Man hath not where to lay his head. Follow me? Listen. I can't promise you a mansion on this earth. Only one By and by in my presence. But I can promise you this. Men will hate you and say all manner of evil against you falsely for my name's sake. For they hated me before they hated you. Follow me, yes. Take up the cross and follow me. And that man, like the rich young ruler, counted his money, counted his wealth, counted the cost and turned, and walked away, and left Jesus alone, forgotten, forsaken, the lonely Jesus. No one ever had a more lonely birth than Jesus that I know of. Man, when I was born, I was born in the Methodist Hospital in Los Angeles, California. My dad was running for the Congress of the United States on the 12th District. And when they heard that Bob Shuler had a baby, they put me right up in a glass crib, right in front of the viewing window. And there were 101 babies in that, in that nursery. And I had 101 fathers come by and look at me. Nurse says, no, that's not your baby. Yours is over there. Oh, thank you. But at least they came by and they looked at me. Jesus Christ, can you imagine this? Ladies, do you imagine how nervous you get when your time comes to deliver? And husbands, you're worse. I had a friend of mine that packed a suitcase for his wife and she said the time's come and he ran out, got the suitcase, jumped in the car and took off and they didn't find him for an hour. Cab came and got the girl. But you know, it's nervous time. Do you know that Mary rode on the back of a donkey, 81 miles, to deliver Jesus? On the back of a donkey. Do you know that Jesus Christ, when he was born, it was evidenced by heaven and heaven alone what had happened? You'd think that everybody would have known about that, but not so. Jesus had a very lonely birth. Not only did he have a lonely birth, but his welcome was a lonely welcome. Very lonely. You say, well, wait a minute. How about the shepherds? Yes, that's true. We've been there. We've been in Bethlehem, and we've seen the shepherd's field. And except for the REA lines that are up and a few of the television lines that are up, you can discard those with your eye, and you've got the field just as it was on the day of Christ's birth. Very easy to see the whole thing. They had a blind canyon, and what they would do, they would take their sheep. All the shepherds would put their sheep together. You say, that's dangerous. No, it's not dangerous, because the sheep know their own shepherd. And they will come to their own shepherd. And so they put all those sheep up into the hourglass on the top of this canyon. Then they light their fires across the threshold. And that keeps the sheep in and the wolves out. And they stand watch by night over their sheep. And the night that that happened, when the heavens declared, unto you is born this day in the city of David a savior. His name shall be called Jesus and he shall save his people from their sin. I imagine on that night there must have been 15, 16 campfires across the neck of that blind canyon. But the Bible says only one shepherd man bothered to go and see you say well how about the wise men yeah the east was the center of culture and learning there were many schools to wise men G- gabriel had one gamaliel had i mean gabriel had had one nicodemus had one there were many schools people looking at the stars and trying to determine when messiah was to come but the bible says in tradition only three brought gifts to jesus christ so few among some of you say wait a minute Schuler." Wait a minute, after they found out who he was, they changed their attitude about him, didn't they? Oh, yes, they sure did. They tried their best to kill him. Herod said, what? A king? We'll find out where he is. I'd like to go worship him. Big liar. He wanted to kill him. He wanted no one to usurp his position on this earth. The next thing we see in the life of Jesus is one of flight into refuge into Egypt, where Mary and Joseph take Jesus and go across the border, and there they stay until Herod is dead. You know, it always bothered me a little bit, especially when I was young. When Herod died, God knowing that, why he didn't instigate the Roman guard to stand on this side of Egypt's threshold with their spears and their swords and in full dress, make an honor guard for Jesus Christ to walk through. But it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Joseph just brought him in, quietly, into Nazareth. And there he worked in Joseph's carpenter shop. I always like this part of the story, because Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And he was a carpenter, and he knows how to do it, folks. And uh, just imagine that. His, he's going to speak into being all these things that we're going to be with the rest of eternity. I can hardly wait to, to get there. But here he is now. He's in the carpenter shop. And I see him. He's growing up. I, 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 let's make him 15, okay? 15 years of age. That's when a boy gets coordination. Starts to. Starts to. And I can see him as he is in the carpenter shop and he's working on a piece of pine. This is in the mind's eye now, imagination. He's working on a piece of pine. He turns it in the vice and continually shaves it. Then he takes out his whittling knife and he begins to make an arch out of this. He's taking the corners of this pine square off and he's making the arch stroke for everything was built in the arch system built so that it would pivot upon the point in the middle and it would be held up that way. So he's working on this and, and uh, he, he, he hears some people running outside and he stops working long enough to look out the window and they're a bunch of kids his age. They're going down here to the sand lot. One of them has a stick and the other has a bunch of twine wrapped up and tied together and they're going to play stickball. And he watches them as he's absentmindedly shaving on this piece of wood and they're starting to choose team and they're asking who can play such and such a position and Jesus in my mind's eye pricks that finger and he steps back and looks at that workbench and there on the workbench lays that piece of pine he's been whittling on and has taken on the crude aspects of a cross, and I believe Jesus knew when he was a teenager that he had come into this world to suffer and die for sinners. I believe he knew it. I believe he knew it, and I know this: as he gazed upon that cross, I could see him say, "Not yet, Father. Not yet." I know for this purpose came I end of the world, but I'm just a youth. Not yet, Father. That's off in the future. I don't I don't want to think of I don't want to think of pain. I don't want to think of, of agony and death. I know what I want, and it's not a sin to want it, Father. I want friends. All these kids are friends, one of another. I have none here. I'll go out and make friends, and I see him as he leaves, and he comes out and he he stands at the edge of these children as they're they're going on the team. One says, "Who can play left field? Anybody here play left field?" And I see Jesus raise his hand. Hey, hey, hey kid, can I play? I, I've never played stickball, but I know I can do it because I can drop a hammer and catch it before it hits the ground, and and, and I can take. I can take carpet tacks and throw them in the air and hit them with a dowel stick and drive them in the wall all day. My eye's good. Can, can Can I play? Andy. Pete, come here. Isn't that Jesus, the carpenter's son? Yes. Nice looking kid, isn't he? There's a pretty dirty story going on about his birth. My daddy says that his father's not really his father. Oh, the sins of the parents. Now, mother said not to hurt him, because the kid's not at fault in this. But mother said to have nothing to do with him. You don't want to be associating with a person like that. Uh, Jesus, is is that your name? Yeah, that's my name. Uh, look, Jesus, Uh Tom can, can play a deep shortstop. Nobody's ever been able to hit a ball over his head. We don't really need you this time. Hey, maybe some other time, okay? I say, Shuler, you're letting your imagination get away from you tonight. No, I'm not. I'm not even touching it. I see Jesus as he turns and walks away from a scene like that with the word illegitimate whispered behind him. And I see him as he goes back into that carpenter shop. And he reaches down and picks up that little wooden cross and holds it to the light in the window and turns to see his body rot in shadow on the cross. I believe Christ knew as a youth that he had come to die. And he did it alone. Forgotten. Forsaken. The lonely Jesus. Hey, no one's ever had a more lonely ministry than Jesus. You think of that just a minute. Think of his ministry. You want to see his invitations? But I healed ten lepers. Where the other nine And the rich young ruler turned sorrowing and went away having great possessions. People were coming to Jesus Christ with the same motive of a bank robber to take what they could and leave him alone, forgotten, forsaken. The lonely Jesus. I see Jesus Christ as he goes up into Gethsemane. When I take Holy Land trips, I always start on the Mount of Olives because you're looking down on the eastern gate. Very interesting when, it, when you get in, you will one day get in the Holy Land. I want you to go and wait till they quit shooting. But when you go there, you'll look down and you'll see the Eastern Gate, which is a very sacred landmark to us because that's the gate that Jesus will walk through. And buried across the threshold of the Eastern Gate are infidels because they know the law of the Jew is they will never walk upon an infidel's grave. They're doing going that far to try to keep Christ out. We had a guard, a a, a guide that was a, also a geologist, and he was telling people that the Christ could not walk through that gate. You see, it's all concreted up; it's got about that much concrete in it, thick, and and they've got these uh, Turks that have been buried there, and so forth. And he said it'll be impossible for him to walk through this gate. And I said. Uh, I said, sir, I said, you're a geologist. You know something about what's going on here, the structure of rocks and stones and so forth. I said, isn't there a fault that goes through Mount Zion? He said, yes, yes, there is. Now, he said, I said, no, 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 don't change it. I said, I want to stay with that fault. I said, where is that fault? He says, well, it comes across Mount Zion here. I said, where? He said, well, well, he says, it's right through this gate. I said, oh, that's interesting. So they're not going to have to do anything with that gate. God's going to do it with an earthquake. And the water's going to come right up to Mount Zion. I said, now, why don't you tell these people what the Bible says, because we're all Christians. He said, all right, all right. But wasn't that going to be great? when Jesus Christ comes, and that's open. So we always start at the eastern gate. And I can see Jesus up on that Mount of Olives now. On his knees praying. He prayed over a city that he fought for and lost. As he said, oh Jerusalem. Jerusalem. How would I've gathered thee as a hen doth gathereth her brood beneath her wings and you would not. I believe the saddest words of tongue or pen are these. He came unto his own. And his own received him not. Jesus Christ gets up and goes back to his disciples and he takes Peter, James, and John. You see, why did he do this? They just seemed to to know him a little better than the others. They seemed to anticipate what he was about. He took Peter, James, and John and he went in to the Garden of Gethsemane. And there as he comes in, there's a stone there he... He gets down on the stone and he says, kneel and pray for me. Folks, listen to me just a minute. What a privilege it would have been to pray for Jesus there. You think of this a minute. You talk about something to tell your grandkids, preacher. Jesus asked me to pray for him. He was at a trying time of his ministry. He said, pray for me lest you enter into temptation. And they fell on their knees and they began to pray for Jesus. And he says, I'm going a stone's throw. I have, I have a real burden. And he goes in to the garden of Gethsemane. And there he kneels and he prays. And the Bible said that he prayed so earnestly that his sweat turned crimson. And he prayed, Oh Father, if it be thy will, take this cup from me. What What cup? What cup? The cup in which the drag of murder fell when Cain slew Abel. The cup in which every sin of the ages came like hulls of corn down to the bottom and lift the shucks to the top as he died for the sins of the world if there be any possibility, God, take it from me. I've been a good son. I've obeyed you, Father. I've never equivocated. I've never sinned. Won't a good, moral person suffice for sin? No, son. Only the death of one who has the sins of many Jesus, my ministry's been true. I've set my face like a flint toward your will. Many times the devil's tried to tip me off on the side. But I have stuck to my guns. Lord, won't a faithful servant's death suffice for sin? No, only the death of my own son will suffice for sin. And that's the battle that he was wrestling. Back and forth, back and forth. And an hour went by. And he gets up weak from praying so hard. And he says, I, I know what I'll do. I'll go back to my friends, Peter, James, and John. Bill encouraged me. And he goes back and he finds Peter, and James, and John exactly like he'd find the local churches of America today. Sound asleep. Peter, James, John. Could you not watch with me one hour? Is it asking too much to stand by me when I really need you? Oh, pray on, pray on. And Jesus goes back to that prayer spot and throws his knees into the sockets of the earth and he prays and he prays and prays God. He won the battle as he said, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. And in the bushes, There's the voice of a familiar companion of Jesus. The one upon whom I plant the kiss. He is the one. Here, give me my money. We bargain for it. Aye, that's good. Good. And he puts it in his tunic pocket. And Judas steps out and reaches up and takes the cheek of Jesus and kisses it and says, All hail, master! And the soldiers and centurions come upon Jesus and they take him and they walk him down the Kidron Valley past Absalom's tomb and they go up into the Via Dolorosa, and they go through the third position into the court of Caiaphas and Jesus stands there. A man walks up to him having blindfolded him and smites him across the face. Prophesy who hath smitten thee, Lord. Come, you must know my name if you're God. The Bible says, as a lamb before his shears, he was dumb. So he opened not his mouth. He just stood there. And he took it. He took it. Then that soldier took a rod. I wish I hadn't looked that up. That is a non- A non-supple instrument of torture. You might as well say a hickory stick or a cane. He took that and began to beat Jesus about the face until Isaiah prophesied that he would not look like a human being. And Jesus stood there and took it. And took it. And said not a mumbling word. Not a mumbling word. Then a cruel soldier takes a crown of thorns that he's pleaded And comes up behind Jesus and brings them down into his skull. And the thorns, very hard, if you've ever seen one, you'll just shudder at the thought of what Jesus went through. They went into the skin but couldn't go through the skull. And they'd scuttle down and go into the eye socket area. And Jesus Christ winces in his pain and tries to keep from showing it. He took it. He took it and they brought a cat of nine tails in, in which were embedded into the leather thongs at 45 degrees to the stress of the grain, little pieces of metal and little pieces of, of sharp instruments that would take a man's skin off the width of two hands, a man that knows how to turn that whip and pull it back when it hits the body can just take the skin off like a doctor's scalpel. And they bring it down on the back of Jesus. And Jesus takes it, and takes it, and takes it, and takes it, and takes it. And I see him down almost on a knee, and tears are coming down his cheek. And someone says, yeah, look at that, <laughs> we got him. Yeah, he's pretty tough, we? we finally got him. No, no, history, history recorded. It's in the Bible. I'll tell you why he weeps. His eyes are fastened upon a friend a fisherman by the name of Peter who stands just nine feet, I, I pasted it off, nine feet from the judge's stand. He's by a fireside. And one comes up to him and says, aren't you one of his disciples? No, no, I never saw him before in my life. Just came in to get some produce. What do you do, rob a bank? Another one comes and says, hey, you, wait a minute, don't say that. You're, what? You're the one that pulled the sword and cut the servant of the high priest's ear off. He said, don't you acquaint me with his crime? I said, I know him not. And a little Hebrew girl, just a little thing, maybe 12, had a water pot on her head. And she came up to him and said, thy speech betrayeth thee, sir. Now you say, well, no, that's because he was a Galilean and he had the dialect of a Galilean. No, no the context of that scripture tells you why. Thy speech betrayeth thee, sir. You don't swear like the others do. It's evident that you've been with Jesus. Let me tell you something. If you get saved, and you genuinely get saved, you'll find your language gets saved too. All of a sudden, you just don't say those words anymore. And that's what she accused him of. So that he would not be Broad brushed by the statement, he curled his lip and Peter spat out an oath and said, Now do you believe me? I know him not. And Jesus winced and the tears flowed unbidden down his cheeks as one that he loved would deny him thrice before the cock could crow twice. And they take Jesus and they put him in. actually it's a horse horse stall we were there they have great rings up here in 4 by 4s and 6 by 4s that construct the roof and what they do with a malefactor that's going to be crucified the next day they run his hands through those rings now if you've been on uh, school grounds and so forth where you have rings when you swing on it's about that size They put the hand through and they take leather thongs and they wrap them around here and wrap them around the bottom part of the elbow and then they they let them draw together because they've wet those things and as they dry, they draw together. And that cuts the circulation here in the wrist. And they're, they're over these rings. He can't get out of those rings. So when he goes to sleep that night, his knees sag and all of a sudden his joints are being pulled. He'll wake up and and the pain is great so he'll wake up and try to exercise but he can't. And he goes through that and the next day they bring what's left of Jesus to Pilate. He's got scabs on his eyes, pus coming out of his eyes where those thorns have penetrated. His joints have been loosened. His back has been whipped practically to the bone. And he stands before Pilate. And Pilate says, Jesus, they say that thou art a king. Is that true? I, I Pilate, I'm a king. Well, Jesus, kings have subjects. Behold, my subjects. Jesus, if you be a king, where be your subjects? James. Follow you. Luke. Matthew. Call on Jesus. They're not there. John's there. Your mother's there. The Bible says they all in one accord cried, Crucify Him. There wasn't a descending bolt. They take Jesus and they scourge him again with the whip opening the back so it'll bleed. They put upon his shoulder a cross. And he drags and carries that cross almost a mile and a quarter up the Via Della Rosa to Calvary, to Golgotha. And as he did, he goes through the most humiliating thing that a, a person can do. Children, the age of these little children, are all let out of school And they stand by the bazaars that are closed now. All businesses are closed. And they have little stones in their hands. Or they have switches. Or they have things of torment. And as the malefactor comes staggering by, carrying a cross, for cursed is he that hangeth upon a cross, they go and they smite him on the leg and smite him on the arm. And women throw things at them. And garbage is tossed his way. And for a mile and a quarter, he takes that. But when he gets to Golgotha, when he gets to the Calvary, his strength is gone. His physical strength is gone. And he falls with that cross on his back. Get up! Christ, his physical can't get him up. Uh, Someone someone help here, who who can, uh, uh, yeah, uh, Simon Peter, fisherman, we heard about him. Come help you, Lord. There was a man by the name of Simon of Cyrene. He was a black man going through town. He walks up and I can see that picture as plain as day. Will I help him? Did you see his eyes? Are any of you cognizant of what you've done here? Have you seen his eyes? He does not hate you. He forgives you. Will I help him? Get out of the way. Get out of the way. That big hulk of a man throws that cross on his shoulder. And I see him reach down and pick up Jesus with the other arm and steady him. And walks him up on top of Gogeta, right at Calvary. There they lay that cross down. Now remember please, crucifixion is a Roman implement of, of, of death. And the law of the Roman is this. If you are the executioner and I'm to be executed, you must nail me to the cross so I cannot get off. For if by some supernatural strength I pull my hands through that nail head and my feet through the nail head and I touch the ground alive, then you must die in my place. That's the law. So there was no messing around with this. That centurion took the palm of Jesus and held it right steady as he took the nail and put it in there, and he brought the hammer down. Right through the hand. Right through the hand and into the wood, into the fixed. And the other hand was stretched, and it too became part of the beam. Then his feet, his left foot over his right foot, between the toe, the big toe, and the first toe, right here. The nail goes in at that angle. Comes out under the arch, of the left foot into the top of the right foot and out the heel for two reasons. Number one, so that in his misery and pain, he now and then can stand on that heel and get a little bit of relief for the sockets that are about to pop out on him. And then the pain is so great, he falls back into the other position. It's that he might suffer, that he might die. And I see him as he looks up. And he says, I thirst. I thirst. What? Water, please. And the soldier takes a a sponge and puts it into a gourd of vinegar and gall and puts it to the lips of Christ. (laughs) They won't give me water. All my disciples are gone. Only John is here. Only Mother. Nobody cares. Wait, wait, there's one who cares. My father cares. I but carry my father's will out. I know what I'll do. I'll just steal a glance into the presence of my father. And one look at his face will encourage me in my trying hour. And as he does, his chin hits his chest. Tears splash down his cheeks. For he sees not the face of his father. He sees the back of his father. For God is holy and his eyes cannot behold sin. And Jesus became sin for us that we might be the righteousness of God. And here Christ cries out, Eli! Eli! by sabachthani! My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? By Jesus, it's right here in the Bible. Isaiah put it very plainly. He was a man acquainted with grief. We hid as it were our faces from him. He was stricken and smitten and we esteemed him not. Jesus, you've got to die on that old cross. No differently than you lived your life, alone, forgotten, forsaken, the lonely Jesus. They buried Jesus three days passed. The Mary's come to anoint a dead body to preserve it a little longer. As they come into the garden they pause, Mary look, The stone is rolled away and cocked. Yes, Mary. And look at the grave clothes. They're wrapped up and stacked on the side, but Jesus is not there. I wonder where he is. Well, Mary, the one sitting on the stone, that probably is the gardener. Why don't you ask him? Okay. Uh, sir. Sir, we came to anoint the body of our Lord Jesus. To keep his memory with us a little while could you tell us where you have laid him now preacher have you ever in reading the scriptures and going through, and through them as you have said I wish I could have been there when that happened I have and when I think of that little I wish I could have been there it's hiding behind a palm tree looking at the face of Mary When she heard that voice, Mary, Jesus, he said, touch me not, for I have not as yet ascended to my father. Go and tell my disciples that I'm going on a little 40-day trek. I'll be back to meet me in the upper room. And he went down the Emmaus Road and talked to two, and he went over here and spoke to a a few. He stayed overnight with, with some. He talked to people. He went around until finally he gathered 120 people. Please note there's more than that here tonight. A hundred and twenty people. And then he stood on the Mount of Olives. And he turned and put his hands out and said, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore into all the world. Preach the gospel and make unto me. God, Jesus don't quit, Jesus. Tell us you're about to leave. You're about to go to be with your father. What's the last great commission that you want us to do? Make me friends. The word disciples means friends in the Hebrew language. And in the Greek, I mean in the Greek language. Make me friends. I'm tired of standing in a stained glass window. I'm tired of occupying the front page of a bulletin. I want human beings that will be my friends. And when someone curses and uses my name as a swear word, they'll stand up and rebuke them. When there's a need for some help spiritually, he'll reach into his pocket and help them. I want people that will stand by. Will you decide with me? that we're not going to be people on the side, observers. People to say it's very interesting what Christ has done for us. That we're going to be people that are his friend. You might be embarrassed doing that. But I tell you right now, you'll have reward when you stand before Jesus Christ. Be his friend. Tell people about him. Pastor asked you people to be ready Sunday night for a testimony I could go to any one of you men who sit by your wife now and say, tell me about your wife and I better have time to sit a while because you tell me all the good attributes about your wife. Let's do that with Jesus. Tell people what he's done for you. Be a friend. Be close to him. He's close to you. Do it by the grace of God. Bow your heads, please, everyone. No one stirring. Heads bowed for just a moment. Almighty God it's very difficult to portray what Jesus went through we've never had to do it and yet Lord what I have said isn't one millionth of what he did he who knew the ivory palaces of heaven he who left his father's side came into this alien world that hated Jesus, that rebuked his ministry, that punished him for saying he and the Father were one. And yet God, he stuck to his guns and went all the way to a felon's cross and gave his life's blood a ransom for us. God, please, the very least we can do is to be his friend, is to stand by him. That's the least we can do. We ask that we shall. In Christ's holy name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening to The Baptist Pulpit. Second Timothy chapter 4 says, I charge thee therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word, be instant, in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and doctrine. For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine. We pray that through the challenging preaching of the word of God today, that you will be encouraged to stay faithful in preaching the word and hearing the word. Lester Roloff many years ago said, the world's greatest need is preaching preachers. Let's pray that in this day and this hour, we will stay faithful to the preaching of Jesus Christ. Thanks again for listening to The Baptist Pulpit.